1: In prior shows, we've discussed mindfulness for stress reduction. Dr. Krista Neff joined us to speak about self-compassion in terms of its power and the research supporting it. And our guest today is Dr. Christopher Germer. He's going to be discussing his new book, co-authored with Dr. Krista Neff, The Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. A Proven Way to Accept Yourself, Build Inner Strength, and Thrive. The book is like being given your own version of the eight-week course they've used to train thousands of people in mindful self-compassion in the past 10 years. The results were reductions in anxiety, depression, medical status, and enhanced overall well-being. Dr. Germer is a clinical psychologist and part-time lecturer in psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He's the founder of the Institute for Meditation and Psychotherapy, as well as the Center for Mindfulness and Compassion at Harvard. He's the author of The Mindful Path to Self-Compassion, Mindfulness and Psychotherapy, and Wisdom and Compassion in Psychotherapy. He leads workshops internationally on mindfulness and self-compassion. Dr. Christopher Germer, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Great to be here. Great. Um, Chris, let's start with the question of clarification. What is mindful self-compassion?
2: Yeah, so um, the course, the MSC course or Mindful Self-Compassion course, Uh, Mostly teaches uh, self-compassion, but mindfulness is a necessary uh, prerequisite to the arising of self-compassion. So in order to make that component clear, uh, we call it the mindful self-compassion program. The uh, mindfulness part means that we're aware in the present moment about what's going on in our lives. So, for example, usually when we struggle, we are not actually aware or capable of saying, ooh, this hurts, this is tough, this is a moment of suffering, moment of struggle, because we get um, caught up in rumination and thinking how we're going to fix it and what's the matter with me, you know. We don't usually have the distance to step back and say, whoa, <laughs> this is tough. So that's mindfulness. Mindfulness is... Awareness of present moment experience, but also not just awareness, but kind of a spacious and tender and loving awareness so that's a prerequisite for self-compassion
1: so um, Chris, if I were if I were um, if I had just lost my job and I came home and I was eating everything in sight, um,
2: yeah
1: <laughs> I, i'm I might be eating instead of focusing on how I feel about being fired.
2: Yes, that's actually a wonderful example, and I'm sure it happens very frequently. Yeah, when something, you know, really bad happens, um, we, it, it, one of the ways that as human beings we manage to function and keep on is by attenuating the experience. You know, trying to reduce the intensity of the experience, and we do that with a variety of You know, avoidance and defensive maneuvers, and one of them is to, you know, throw, you know, try to throw ourselves into food or into sub, you know, substances or activities or blaming. You know, that sort of puts the attention outside because to be able to say, oh, I just lost my job and I have to support my kids, and this is terrible. You know. That kind of direct experience of um, bad situation or difficult emotions is usually too much for us, but, and this is why we do the why we're teaching uh, self-compassion and mindfulness, mindfulness then will kind of open the door. It allows us to say, wait a minute, this is really tough, but we're not just... Staying with that, we're not just trying to make room for the, the bad feelings and the implications of losing our job. What we're also doing is uh, being kind to ourselves. In the same way, you know, if we came home and, from losing our job and someone was there and said, oh, I know what happened to you, I'm so Sorry. You know, if you're a good person, I love you, we'll figure this out, we'll be able to, you know, we will pull this together. Imagine somebody was waiting in the home to give you that kind of attention and sympathy and care and compassion. Well, usually there isn't somebody like that. So how would it be if we could actually give that to ourselves? And what would the outcome be? If we could give that to ourselves, so usually we would start to settle down, our mind would clear, and we would actually begin to be able to address the problem. And this is the power of self-compassion. It's just, it's 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 like a hug, and a strong hug, and a supportive hug that um, is there when we need it. And we don't usually do that. Usually, right. usually we do the opposite.
1: <laughs> right. So, in other words, mindfulness is our first step. If we can dare to let ourselves know how we feel, we have opened up the space then to be self-compassionate.
2: Thank you. And I like the word you Suzanne, dare, because it requires courage. It requires courage, and it also requires resources. You know, we have to be able... You need to have the inner strength, you know, the confidence, the courage, and frankly, the compassion that allows us to turn towards very difficult experience.
1: You know, I like, the, I, <laughs> lo, I like the next step um, be, about you, common humanity because I don't know about you, but most, whenever I've been in a situation, you really feel you're the only person on earth who has faced the situation you've faced, or the only mother whose kid is not calling you, or the only dad whose kid hates the sport you love. Oh, thank you. So, yeah.
2: That's yeah, that's right. And so when we are engulfed in difficult emotions, you know, just like when an animal is hurt, you know, it will sort of turn inward and lick its paws and you know, try to, you know, basically the world kind of disappears. So the same thing happens to us when we're hurting. We kind of close in, but it especially happens when we feel shame about something going wrong. You know, so if I feel shame about the sport that I'm, you know, or I'm being shamed about the sport that I like the most, or if my kid doesn't do well or something, if it, if it attacks, so to speak, my sense of self, then then we really start to isolate ourselves. You know, the, the, the sense of shame is by very nature isolative, and one of the curious things, particularly in the US, this isn't the case everywhere equally, but in the US, when things go wrong, we think it's like a personal failure, you know? It's <laughs> if so things don't go wrong in life. <laughs> I should be smiling and happy and be able to say, when somebody says, how are you? I should be able to say, great. And if I don't, you know, I am failing in some way. So there's this crazy layer of shame that occurs to us when things go wrong in our lives. And that isolates. But self-compassion is the opposite. And self-compassion, we're actually not self-compassion unless in that moment we know that... uh We know what we're feeling. We know this is how it feels uh, if we have a human body. And we also know that we're not the only one in the world who, even in this moment, might be struggling with this particular problem. That is such a relief because so much of our suffering is compounded by isolation. And so self-compassion cuts through isolation partly by cutting through shame. It allows us to say something like, just like me, you know others feel just like me, others struggle just like me, I am not alone. this is how it feels to lose your job. this is how it feels when your kid is not doing well yeah. mm-hmm. That's a key factor it's one of the most subtle factors is in self compassion this matter of common uh, humanity it's so it's almost invisible but we can feel it when it's not happening for us, when we're isolating. Our just suffering just gets compounded so much.
1: Well, the more that you realize how others have suffered. Now, it's great, as you say, if there are people going, I know just what you feel, I've been there. But we don't have that all the time. But the more you know that you can go to a place of saying, I'm not the only person embarrassed in a situation like this. Other people get embarrassed when they lose their job or other people get embarrassed when their child acts out in a certain way. You're less hesitant to own the feeling because you get used to knowing that if you're feeling embarrassed, or you're feeling frightened, or you're feeling ashamed, you can move into that common humanity place and say, "I'm not the only mother whose kid is using drugs. It exactly, it can't yeah. be, and it's okay for me to feel heartbroken because it makes sense to yeah. be heartbroken."
2: Thank you. It couldn't be could be said more eloquently than the way you just said, "Yes."
1: And and what is our next step? The first was mindful. Yeah,
2: so the first step is mindfulness, knowing that we're struggling while we're struggling. The second step is common humanity, knowing we're not alone. And the third step is self-kindness. And this is very fundamentally um, uh, caring for ourselves in the same way as we would care for somebody whom we Love who we truly care about, and um, this is easier said than done. Um, and it, but and we can we can do that in a whole variety of ways. You know, behaviorally we can care for ourselves as we would care for somebody else. In other words, we could um, uh, if, you know if, if we would say to a friend, you know, let's let's uh, go out for a run together, or let's have a bite to eat together. We can take ourselves and do that sort of thing, if somebody else was not around. It's also self-compassionate to reach out to others. Uh, we can talk to ourselves in a kind way. You know, when somebody else is struggling, the tone of our voice is usually kind of soft and uh, kind and encouraging. Usually when things go wrong in our own lives, the tone is a bit harsh and kind of punitive so we can talk to ourselves in a nice way, we can treat ourselves behaviorally in a good way. Um, There are many things that we can do, but the the third step, which is self-kindness, starts with the intention, which is, may I be kind to myself, which is usually not our instinct when things go wrong. So simply to be able to say, May I be kind to myself? May I give myself the compassion that I need? And then, you know, sometimes we don't even know what that means. How do we give ourselves the compassion that we need? And the way to do that is by asking, you're asking ourselves, so what do I need? And also, that question could even be broken down further, in other words, How do I care for myself already? Or what do I need to feel safe right now? Or what do I need to comfort myself or soothe myself? What do I need to validate how I feel? What do I need to protect myself? What do I need to provide for myself? What do I need to motivate myself when I just feel I can't go on one step further? What do I need? So this is the quintessential self-compassion question, particularly related to the third component that you're mentioning, Suzanne, which is self-kindness. How do we be kind to ourselves? We need to be able to answer that question. And the way to do it is to externalize a little bit.
1: How would I treat a friend? Ah,
2: can I do that for myself?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, well... One of the things that I like so much that you've said ha- you found helpful also is to have uh, it's it's a very, I think, easy meditation. It's called the loving-kindness meditation. Because I'll tell you for myself, just being able to say, May I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I live with ease, may I be love- may I have loving kindness. I think most of us would think, what? Why should you give Mm -hmm. that to you? But if once you get to understand that if you give that to you, you will calm yourself in a way that you can also say the very same thing with intention toward the person you love. If you have an acting out teenager and there's not a thing you can do, just when you think about her... Being able to say the meditation, well, the best I can do is where, wish her loving kindness. May she be safe mm, today. Mm. May she be happy today. Yes. As a mother, I yes. feel so much less helpless. At least I sent yes, her so Yes,
2: yes, yeah. And that, what you're describing, Suzanne, also is wonderful because it cuts through you know, the invisible pain that, as a parent, we would have in a moment like that, which is the sense of separateness from one's child. You know, if your child is acting out, there are two problems. One is the child is acting out. But one is you actually probably don't like the child at that moment or you're feeling very distant from the child. Or maybe your child's behavior is even threatening you. Not, right. you know, in other words, making you feel like a bad mom. And so to a really cool thing about self-compassion is it changes physiology. It moves us from a threat state to a care state. So when you... When we can begin, actually, to be kind to ourselves when the kid is acting out, we shift our physiology, which makes us feel less alone, more connected, by first connecting with ourselves. And then we can offer the same kindness to the other person, even if they're, in other words, internally, as a way of connecting with them. So loving kindness meditation is a very powerful meditation, which... You know, on the, outside, on the outside, as you said, looks almost trivial. But, you know, it's not. I mean, it's been practiced for 2,500 years for a reason.
1: <laughs> well, l- let me say this. We're going to take a break, but maybe on the other side of this break, Chris, we could describe to our listeners the actual physiological impact of criticism, self-criticism, which we all do, as opposed to self-kindness. Um, and and actually how that changes our stress level. Um, And let's come right back to that. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're going to take a break. Our guest today is Dr. Christopher Germer. He's the co-author with Dr. Kristen Neff of the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook, A Proven Way to Accept Yourself, Build Inner Strength, and Thrive. Stay with us. We'll be coming back with more.
0: live the leader in internet talk radio voice what's your coffee story the one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting it's where you share your memories plan for the future and talk about the now my favorite coffee story is here with host aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories, too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Our humanity is a thing we take for granted, but it takes many forms and it requires much of us to fully express it. Listen to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human with host Dr. Leanne Nguyen. This program will explore topics about survival, fulfillment, hope, connection, being fully alive to ourselves and to others. Guests are people whose life experience inspires us to reflect on these questions. Tune into On Living, broadcasting live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, We'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron. Live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
1: Uh, he is the co author with Kristen Neff of the Mindfulness Self Compassion Workbook. And we were just talking about self criticism. Um, so, Chris, one of the things that we all tend to do is to what you call the unholy trinity, which is to go to self criticism, isolation, and rumination. Maybe you can tell us, because it's even hard to believe the power of. Mindful self-compassion on our minds and bodies. Tell us what our usual default positions do to us, as compared to moving into mindful self-compassion.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so that's a—it's uh, uh, essentially a physiological question you're asking, and and it's a very interesting question because when we activate self-compassion or when we cultivate. Uh, self-compassion as a personal resource. What we're actually doing physiologically is we're learning to shift our physiology from a threat state to a care state. And the threat state is um, there are um, it's known uh, we, when we're in a threat state the body is usually flooded with adrenaline and cortisol. We all know what that's like. And this occurs when um when, uh, we, when we're feeling threatened, but there's no external uh, object that we can uh, fight or flee from or freeze around. And the threat is internal. Uh, we go into what you've described as the unholy trinity, which is uh, self-criticism, isolation, and rumination. Um, and that's the physiology of uh, adrenaline and uh, cortisol. But what's interesting is that self-compassion is precisely the opposite. Self-compassion, rather than self-criticism, is about self-kindness. Rather than isolation, is about a sense of common humanity. Rather than rumination or being kind of stuck in our thoughts and thinking only about ourselves, uh, the opposite is mindfulness or this kind of spacious loving awareness. And the physiology of that, of self-compassion, is the physiology of what we call the care system. So as human beings, uh, in evolution, what allowed us to survive, and what even allows reptiles to survive, is uh, fight, flight, or freeze. And it's very fast, and fight, flight, or freeze turned inward becomes self-criticism, isolation, and rumination. However, when we have an internal threat, we can actually then activate the care system, and the care system is, um, is a later evolutionary development in mammals because mammals need to... Uh, babies and their parents need to be together for a while in order to learn about life and to bond as packs and tribes and so forth. And the physiology that allows for these extended periods of care in mammals has as its basis um, hormones such as uh, oxytocin, which is a love hormone, and the endorphins, which is kind of a feel-good hormone. So when babies and parents are connected in a safe way, they both actually have they get started with oxytocin and the endorphins, these feel-good hormones. So Um, This is also evolutionarily hardwired in us. We have a kind of a reptilian response, which is the fight flight, free threat response, which internally becomes self-criticism, isolation, and rumination. But we also have within us this care response, because we're mammals. And the care response basically means that when we feel under threat, we can also... Activate these feel good hormones by, if we remember, because this isn't as instinctive as psychiatry, if we remember self kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. So it requires a little more training. It's not as fast as the threat response,
1: but mm-hmm.
2: it is hardwired. It's in there. It <coughs> just needs to nurture it, we need to nourish it, we need to practice it, so that we don't spend an inordinate amount of time in this stress state, which is really bad for our minds, it's really bad for our bodies, when we don't have anything to protect ourselves from. Because nowadays, what we're threatened by is threats to our self-esteem, to our self-image, our self our ideas about things. And the state of chronic stress is is, is bad for everything. So, what we found is that self-compassion is enormously healthy for mental health and for physical health. And this is simply shifting physiology from threat to care. And the way to do that, one powerful way to do that, is by caring for ourselves. And we know how to do, we know how to care for others. And just turning our directions with a little bit, all these good things, these nice things that we do for to just do them for ourselves when we suffer, when we fail, when we feel inadequate, that activates an entirely new physiology, and it feels good.
1: So when, when you describe it like that, I think, and I know you're a clinician too, I think over the years of how many people have come in, Chris, ruminating about an incident, Um, someone in the family has um, embarrassed them, left them out, not invited them to the wedding, whatever it it happens to be, big or strong, they cannot stop ruminating about it. But as they're ruminating about it, they're feeling, they're not going to tell anyone because they're embarrassed. Um, They keep up a stress level, just as you say, it's almost like they've Mm. been threatened. And now they've decided, I must be a loser, or I would have been invited. I'm the only one going Mm -hmm. without a partner if I am invited. And what goes on Mm -hmm. is rumination, no sleep. They don't tell anyone. They don't call. Or they call and tell the Mm -hmm. story a thousand times. And they end Mm -hmm. up tremendously stressed, as you say. Cortisol increased. Can't sleep. And the alternative would be to be if they could say you feel embarrassed because you weren't invited, that's pretty normal. It it feels terrible. That would be a
2: mindful, moment. That. That be a mindful moment, you know. Right.
1: Right. right. And I'm mm-hmm. sure I'm not the only person who's ever been in a spot like this and it's not the mm-hmm. only time that I'm gonna have to face things like this. And I mm-hmm. it's okay. Mm-hmm. I, who wouldn't feel embarrassed if they were left out. And then the next step is metaphorically or literally, how do we do the self-hug, the self-kindness, the, the activity that brings us some peace, the music that you turn on, the mantra that uh-huh. you say, I have a lot Mm -hmm. to be grateful for. So if I were your patient and I said, but I don't know what to do when I get to the place Mm -hmm. where I should be kind to myself. It sounds a little Mm -hmm. hokey to me. I don't know what to do. What would you advise Mm -hmm. me to do?
2: Yeah, so at that moment, I would say, well, let's just imagine that that a very good friend of yours said, you know, can can we go to dinner? I want to tell you what, what just happened to me and you go with them and you hear this, what would you say to your friend? Mm-hmm. That, you know, and the person would tell you, and it would flow so naturally, and then the question is, can you? And you say that to yourself right now? You know, or, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, if, if a client said, you know, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to be self-compassionate right now, I would say, well, how do you generally care for yourself? And they would say, well, I, I like to exercise, I like to talk to friends, I like to listen to music, I like to take a warm bath, I like to get a massage. I wonder whether that's perhaps exactly what you needed time like this. What do you think? Mm-hmm. You know, so this is not hokey. This is pretty direct, it's pretty real, it's pretty down to earth. Yeah, something like that. And also, you know... Um, what tone of voice would you use if, if you were talking to a friend? You, you think you can begin in a preliminary way to speak to yourself in the same way, with the same comfort, with the same kindness? You know, is that possible? And the person might say, no, it's not possible because really screwed up. And, so forth. and then, at that moment, as a therapist, then we really don't want to be prescribing too much. We want to be the the uh, kindness that the person can't give to themselves. In other words, we want to, as just another person in the room with someone who's hurting, um, just allow our own compassion to be visible. Okay. And usually after that's happened for a while, a person is able, in fact, to um, start to think about what they can do for themselves. Sometimes we need it from others first, first. When we're really good at self-compassion, we don't need as much from others first, but in the beginning, yeah, you know, first we need to be held, and heard, and understood, and, and then and clear a little bit, and then we can learn how to give it to ourselves as well.
1: You know, in this culture, I mean, that's a very good way to start in terms of uh, what would you say to someone else and could you apply it to yourself. When I think of in this culture, there's a tendency when you make a mistake to feel self-reproach, self-hate. So the last thing you think is that you should be self-loving. But what your research has shown is that the ability to be kind to yourself usually lets you even look closer at the mistake. And as a result, much to our surprise, you're not only kinder to yourself, you can look closer at the mistake. The chance of benefiting from that situation instead of really falling into stress from that situation is tremendously different. But we just don't think that, Chris, unless we really start serious.
2: Right. When we're when we're freaked out about what happened, in other words we're in a full on threat state, we're really not able to step back, we have no perspective, and we're not able to actually see what went on. So what compassion does is it 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 comforts, it soothes, it calms us. It literally it down regulates the nervous system from being in a state of, you know, panic, alarm, stress to a state where where field of awareness can sort of open up and we can actually look at things. But what we know is that people who are high in self-compassion, they're way more likely to um, admit, first of all, to notice when things go wrong, to admit uh, if they contributed in some way to that, they're more able to identify uh, what went wrong in terms of their own contribution. But the most amazing thing, then, is that on this foundation, which is the foundation of care rather than threat, um, people who are high in self-compassion are, are simply more motivated to uh, achieve. Mm.
1: The,
2: their standards are just as high as people with low self-compassion, but how they motivate themselves once they recognize the things they don't go right is radically different. So. When people, people, self-compassionate people motivate themselves with kindness and encouragement rather than with harsh criticism, with a whip, You know, they don't whip themselves, you know. They um, encourage themselves like a coach. Like a coach would say, yeah, you can do it, you know. You know, this didn't work out this time, but you definitely can do it. You've got the discipline. You've got the smarts. You can do it. Mm -hmm. This kind of inner voice is very motivating. So we actually find that people high in
1: self-compassion are simply more motivated to succeed, and they do. <laughs> Absolutely. Amazing. Like when it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting but, having sons in that have been in sports, the type you want in a way, you're The kids in your team to be more self-compassionate than to have self-esteem. You know, the difference between, you want your kid to have self-compassion more than you want your kid to have self-esteem. That sounds crazy. But actually, you know, the coach who only compliments you when you hit the three-point shot is really doing no one a favor. It's the coach that says, I know you know how to play. Forget the shot keep playing your game, is the coach that's modeling love yourself enough to remember who you are, let the mistake go, because if your self-esteem right. is... a po-
2: lot, okay. the love of your coach is not entirely contingent on every three-pointer, you know? In other words, the reason why yes. people who have high self-compassion have that inner coach, um, are, they're, they're actually more willing to make mistakes and learn from them is because there's not so much riding on it. You know? right.
1: In other words, I'm still a good person even if I fail. It's yeah. true. It, it's interesting both when we think of it in terms of the coach and the, and the and the kid or in terms of ourself, so much time, you know, is taken up um, to, to a somehow um, self-reproach that could go into... Um, real change in self-care we're going to take a break and we're going to come right back um, and we'll be talking about self, mindful self-compassion with caregivers something we all need stay with us we'll be right back
0: Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you finding your frequency? on Voice America Variety. Tune in to the Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at
1: 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11
0: a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America
1: Welcome back to Psych Up Live. I'm Dr. Phillips, and I'm here speaking with Dr. Christopher Germer. He is the co-author with Dr. Kristen Neff of a very important new book, The Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. And in this section, we want to talk about The Application of Mindful Self-Compassion to Caregivers. If you're a caregiver, whether you're a parent, a nurse, a teacher, an attorney, you know you're living with stress. It goes with the territory. And you know how often all of us self-doubt, condemn ourselves for not making the perfect ending happen for our clients. How, Dr. Germer, can we apply mindful self-compassion to caregivers?
2: Yeah, so that's a really important um, uh, topic, and if there are really two things that self-compassion is remarkably effective for. One is as an antidote to shame, but the other is uh, as an antidote to uh, what is commonly called uh, compassion fatigue, um, basically how caregivers simply get worn out um, by the job, and so, uh, so here's the deal. As human beings, we feel the pain of others. So much of our brain is actually um, hardwired for feeling in our own bodies what other people are feeling. So, caregiving and and feeling how other people are feeling is very natural. But the problem is, is that it's it it because we feel another person's pain as our own it can really wear us down it can it it's like it's like our own pain and if we are in a situation where we don't really we can't really turn away from it in other words a child that has special needs or a parent who's you know or a partner or something who needs a lot of care it just wears us down and and then when that happens we actually start discovering we're not feeling very caring and then we also don't feel good about ourselves. In other words, one of the signs of compassion fatigue is that we actually um, start to dislike the person we're supposed to care for and that, that breaks a person's heart, you know, a caregiver's heart. So that's the situation that we're in sometimes and this actually is a threat state. This is a... Um, not a care state. So then the question is, how do we get back into the frame of mind of a caregiver? And the easiest way to do that is by caring for ourselves, um, by, in other words, by self-compassion. The antidote to compassion fatigue is self-compassion. You know, in the same way we can fall in love, we can fall in compassion. And that means... For a caregiver to be able to stop and say, this is so hard. This is so hard. This is stretching me to the edge of my capacity. Look, I'm even starting to hate the person I'm supposed to love. This is so difficult. So that's the mindfulness part, you know. But, um, uh, you know, usually when we're in a situation like this and we ask and we say to others that we're getting burnt out, They'll recommend that we go on vacation, we get a massage, we do whatever. But the problem with all those approaches is that you're going to have to go back to the caregiving situation. You're going to have to see the person in their bed or whatever. And all the old feelings flood back. And then you say, now what? I can't do this. So um we have a very uh simple practice, which people who are in a caregiving situation, and this goes for pretty much all of us, you know, there might be some therapists on this call, doctors, nurses, parents, people working in nursing homes, teachers. Um, In the actual situation of caregiving, what you can do is you can connect with your breathing, So if you're on this call, I'd invite you right now to do that, to feel your breath move into your body with the in-breath, and to feel the breath move out of your body with the out-breath. Just just tracking the breath a few moments, a few times, breathing in. Then breathing out. And now as you breathe in, allowing the in-breath to be only for you. You know, as a baby, the first thing you did was you breathed in. So letting every in-breath be for you, for you, the caregiver. Breathing in for me. Just letting the breath out for naturally, and then once again, breathing in for me. And now, uh, so this practice is called in for me and out for you. So now, just taking your cue from your breath. Allow every in-breath to be for you, and every out-breath to be for the person or persons who you're caring for. So if you have a classroom of children, in for me, out for all of you, all 30 of you. Mm -hmm. Or you're taking care of a spouse, in for me, and out for you. You got three kids, in for me, and out for you. And here's the deal. Sometimes you need to just breathe in 30 times for yourself and then one out breath. That's perfectly fine, because you'll notice that if you breathe, allow the in breath to be for you. You will slowly be able to nourish yourself as you need to in the caregiving situation. So this is this is a really uh, powerful practice. We call yes. it breathing compassion in and out. But there's also something you can say that you can add to the mix. This is a little tougher to say if you've got young kids, but. May you know maybe if you're caring for a parent or something like that, you can say the following words and I'm and please think as you're thinking of somebody. Allow these words, to kind of, you know, um, uh, just allow these words to flow through your mind. And they are, <clears throat> everyone is on their own life journey. Everyone is on their own life journey. I am not the cause of this person's suffering, nor is it in my power to take it away no matter how much I wish I could. Moments like this, caregiving moments like this, can be difficult to bear or are difficult to bear, yet I may still try to help if I can, yet I may still try to help to the extent that I can. So this is a powerful combination, you know. So thinking of somebody you're caring for, breathing in for me and out for you, in for me and out for you, and remembering, everyone is on their own life journey. I am not the cause of this person's suffering, nor is it in my power to take it away, no matter how much I wish I could. Moments like this are difficult to bear, yet I may still try to help if I can. Well, those words are what we call equanimity words, and they create a little space, a little room to breathe, a little room for compassion. And together, they're a powerful combination for working with uh, compassion
1: fatigue. It, they're wonderful mm. because the words, to me as a caregiver, remind me I can't do it all and I can't make it all work. And mm. in some ways, I mean, I I want to. I'm celebrating the fact I want to, but I'm not. I, I'm not really responsible, and I can't always do it. And the other piece, mm. what I love about the breathing is it actually is a a literal example of taking care of self in a loving way in breathing with compassion and using your strong now, less stressed self to exhale with compassion for someone else. So they're not only literally physiologically allowing you to care for self so you could care for the others better, they're metaphorically doing it also, Chris.
2: Yes, indeed, indeed. It it works psychologically. It works physically, and it's a natural thing, you know. As human beings, we're not always exhaling, but when we're trying to care for somebody all the time with no attention to ourselves, it's just like that. We get starved of air. We get starved of nourishment. You know, we must inhale. We have to. When the uh, cabin pressure goes down, we ha- and the um, oxygen masks are released. We must first put it on. Ourselves before we put it on others. We must breathe in for ourselves. We please don't forget.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a be- It's beautiful the way you described it, Chris. I want to make sure we have time. If you were to give a take-home message to our audience today with respectful with respect to mindful self-compassion, what would it be?
2: Oh, it would be just. Um, mm, uh, to, be, to remember that self-compassion is a is a humble enterprise. What we're really doing is 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 slipping ourselves into the circle of our compassion. You know, we're all of us, just actually, eighty percent of us are more compassionate toward others than ourselves, and and so to just include ourselves in the circle of compassion, to understand that compassion is external, but also Internal. Uh, So I I just like to say that it's a humble enterprise and that the most important thing is to remember, to remember to be kind to ourselves also. And when we do that, we will um, automatically uh, be kinder to others. Our compassion toward others automatically flows when we have that moment of remembering to include ourselves.
1: Okay. Um, In the interest of time, I I just want to thank you for a beautiful show and an important show. How would people find your book, um, Chris, or the workshop?
2: Uh, Well, anybody can get the book on Amazon, Um, but if you're interested in the
1: trainings,
2: and we've Taught like sixty thousand people around the world, and there are over a thousand teachers on every content. You can um, access all that kind of information from on the website, which is uh, Center for MSC or you can go to my website chrisgarmer org. Yeah. Okay, yeah. thank
1: you very much. Thank you again, Chris. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, this will be a podcast by 6 p.m. this evening, and it'll be on all the podcast apps. Remember to drop me a line at radiohostphillips at com. and until next week, please take care, thanks, and be listening.